Boy, it's good to see you here this morning. I know it was tough to get here. It was, it was cold. I apologize for the uh, presence of the kerosene heaters. I usually only try and have them to warm the place up and then get rid of them. It was a battle this morning to get this place warmed up. And we pulled everything out we possibly could. We closed off rooms we don't need or do need but just are not going to use today. <laughs> and uh, we'd, we're just working to try and get, get it all warmed up here. It feels pretty good in here right now. Uh, some of you may have been threatened with excommunication if you open the door. It does uh, substantially knock down the temperature when we open the door over here. But uh, if people had to, to get in and out, we certainly wanted that to be able to go on. But boy, it was a battle. What a, what a thing. But tomorrow, it all comes to an end. We're back up into warmer temperatures and then even better as the week goes on. So we'll keep our, our, set, our, our sights set on the, the things like that. Well, there was a young police officer who was taking his final exam for the police academy. And he came across this question. You are on patrol in the outer city when an, ex- when an explosion occurs in a gas main on a nearby street. On investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the footpath and there is an overturned van nearby. Inside the van, there is a smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognize the woman as the wife of your chief of police who is at present away in the United States. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance and you realize that he is a man who is wanted for armed robbery. Suddenly, a man runs out of his nearby house shouting that his wife is expecting a baby and that the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help, having been blown in the adjacent canal by the explosion and he cannot swim. Describe in a few words what actions you would take. The young man thought for a moment. He picked up a pen, and this is what he wrote. I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. Sometimes when disaster is all around us, instead of dealing with things, we sometimes just rather vacate the premises and sometimes just get away from from all those things. But um, God has empowered us with the ability to change the situations that are around us. And over the last number of weeks, we have looked at the difference between miracles and healings done by the power of God and miracles and healings done by the authority of Jesus Christ. That every miracle and everything that was done in the Word of God was done by one or the other. Either it was the power of God or it was the authority of Jesus Christ. One of those things created these things, created the the miracle, created the healing. We looked at some of the things about receiving from the power and some of the principles that are involved in receiving from authority. When we receive from the power of God, we saw that power needs connection. Authority needs confidence. But power needs connection. Every time in the Word of God that the power of God manifested for healing or for a miracle, a connection was made. It was not always a physical connection, but a connection was made. And we've spent... A number of times looking at some of the miracles and we saw some of the ways that connection was made. Some of them were done, as we would call it today, wirelessly. No connection. But we saw how the connection was made to the power of God. In the area of power, generally, 
if, if there was not a laying on of hands, there was a command that was given. Often that command would be something or that, that would emphasize our lack in an area. When God gave a command to someone, it emphasized a lack that they had. Sometimes it was in the area of their ability. Sometimes it was in the area of their willingness. And sometimes it was in the area of understanding. When he said to the man who was lame, rise up, take up your bed and walk, he did not have the ability. Sometimes it was a willingness. Go wash in the Jordan. Seven times. Sometimes it was with understanding. When Peter was told, go out and fish. First fish you catch, you'll have a coin in the mouth. Things of this nature. Sometimes it's a way to understand how that necessarily is going to work. We looked at the fish harvest. We saw that many times Christians miss it on a first unrelated command. That as we, we have the advantage when we're in the Word of God and we're reading, we can see the unrelated command that came before and we can see its relation. But a lot of times in our own personal life, God has given us a command. God has told us something to do. And it seems unrelated to what we are facing. And we ignore it. The first unrelated command that Peter had was when Jesus had the crowd. And he said, can I use your boat? And Peter said, yes. And he let him use his boat. After he was done preaching, Jesus then turned to Peter and said, Go out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Well, if he had not been obedient to the first command to let Jesus use his boat, he would not have been in a position to receive the second command to launch out into the deep. See, a lot of times we eliminate ourselves from the position because we have not obeyed what God said because it seemed unrelated, unimportant, and somehow not going to affect us. But that's what Peter did. We saw, though, in the area of authority that partial obedience can yield a partial harvest. But in the area of power, complete obedience is necessary. You remember the, 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 the man who who's uh, leprosy? Go wash in the Jordan seven times. If he had washed six times, what would have happened? Nothing. If the man who was told... Rise up, take up your bed, and walk. If he does not 100% obey the first command, rise up, what happens? Nothing. In the area of power, it's either zero or 100%. But in the area of authority, there's, there's, there's a mixture of things. We saw in that particular story when Jesus said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. The Word of God very specifically tells us that they let down their net. That's partial obedience, isn't it? And yet, a harvest still came. In the area of authority, partial obedience can yield a partial harvest. You all know it's better to be fully obedient. But even if we're not, there's still some things we can get. We looked at the centurion. And the healing with the centurion most certainly involved the area of authority. But what we learned from that particular story was that there were three things that authority will deal with. Three things that authority will work on. The first thing is go. The second is come. And the third is do this. That the centurion out of his mouth, he said, I too am a man under authority. And I say to one, go, and he 
goes. I say to another one, come, and he comes. And to a third, or it's the third time, do this, and he does it. That in the area of authority, you are generally commanding something to go, something to come, or something to be done. In the area of authority, authority deals with what is possible. Power deals with what is impossible. When Jesus said, if you say that this mountain be moved and be cast into the sea, is it possible for a mountain to move itself and cast itself in the sea? Apparently. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't tell you to tell the mountain to do it. Is it possible for demon spirits to leave? Is it possible for disease germs to leave a body? Yes. So you can say to them, go and they go. And you can say to the blessings of God, to the things that you need, what? Come. And you can say to certain things, do this and it will do it. But it does need to be possible. We use the example when Corey and I were over here in the other room and working on the water heater and the water heater wasn't drained and it weighed somewhere around 300 pounds. And uh, I could not say, even though I had authority in the area, I could not say to Corey, move the water heater. Right? Because it has to be within a person's ability. They have to be able to do it. That's an abuse of power. So we need to know what areas authority works in, what authority can do. So anyway, these were some of the review things we did last week. We looked at blind Bartimaeus. We did a quick review on three reasons people are not healed. Disobedience, unbelief, and ignorance. But unbelief is different from ignorance. Unbelief is when you hear the truth and reject it. That's what unbelief is. A lot of people think they're unbelief because they are struggling to believe something that is not. Unbelief is the rejection of truth. And we looked at a number of scriptures that showed us that that was what was going on. Well, we went into other things as well. And uh, those are all up there on the internet if you want to go back there and, and check on to those things. Let's, uh, let's open up in our Bibles. This is a familiar scripture. We hit this every couple of years. I did notice, though, in my outlines of uh, the last few years that it's almost been two years since we've been on this story. I was surprised. Usually it's at least a year we come back over here. I love this story. Of course, the, the one in the middle, we're going to skip the woman with the issue of blood. I do enjoy that. It's one of my most favorite healing stories that there, that there is. But we're going to skip that one. We're going to focus on the, the, the other parts of the story. In verse 21, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. Behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now, we have looked at this a number of times. We're going to look at this from the, the standpoint of authority and power. Now, why does Jesus go with him? Well, the Word of God very clearly says here that he begged him. Does God, does Jesus respond to begging? He's not moved by begging. He's not moved by need. He's moved by faith. But look at what he does. He begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, and that she may be healed, and she will live. His statement, though it may be surrounded by begging, is filled with faith. Here's what he does. 
He comes to Jesus with, with faith to work with. He first off cites the problem. He cites a plan and makes the proclamation. We've got a problem, a plan, and a proclamation. This is where most Christians miss it in the area of faith is they have their sights on a problem, but they develop no plan. And they make no proclamation. They have their sights on a problem, but they have no plan. And they really make no proclamation. They make a hope. Well, I sure hope I get healed of this thing. This is sure aggravating. Right? We can do that. But we're not making a plan. Do you know why most Christians don't make a plan? It's because all they know is the end result. What is it that God wants to do for you? Well, He wants me healed. How many times have you heard that from people? Well, He wants me healed. Well, he wants more than that. But all they know, I, I, I want to be healed. Okay. What would happen if you would say, I want to build a house on this empty lot? Well, that's great. What do you want to do first? I don't know. But I want a house built on this empty lot. Well, you know, that's great. But, you know, how do you want the house to look? Do you want to have the house have a basement? Do you want the house to have two stories? Do you want the house? What do you want to have in the house? I don't know. I just want a house built on this empty lot. Well, first of all, you've got to frame something. You've got to get a picture of what you want. Once you get a picture of what you want, then you've got to get an architect who draws out all the things that have to be done in order to make that work. And then you bring other people in to survey and you bring other people in. They have all kinds of jobs, but there's all kinds of things to be done. And so the first thing that you say is, well, we want to do this. We're going to survey. We're going to excavate we're going to lay the foundation we're going to bring in the building materials we have all kinds of things what do you want to accomplish this week well if what we say is i want to build a house it's not going to work so well i heard brother keith moore he was telling a story some time ago it was a great story it was a, a woman who came and and she was in a wheelchair i don't know that she was completely lame but she was in a wheelchair she had a hard time walking very difficult time walking it was hard for her to to do much and so he came up to her and he said, what, what do you want God to do for, me, for you? I want to get rid of this wheelchair. I want to walk. She wanted to, to, to walk right then on her own without uh, any difficulty. And he says, well, that's, that's great. But what do you want God to do for you now? This was coming up in the spirit. What do you want God to do for you now? Well, I want to be healed. And see, this is what happens. We have a pie in the sky mentality. I'm going for this and we never hit anything in between. Have you ever run into the people with that in the area of finances? You know, they're either going to win the lottery. Some rich uncle is going to die. They're going to, somebody's going to offer them a, a job that pays $250,000 a year. Something like that. It's pie the, there's no steps. There's no steps to get there. We sometimes in the area of healing need to have some steps to get there. Because we're believing for pie in the sky, but we don't have the faith to support it. I'm not saying that God can't heal people right away. What I'm saying is God can do what you have faith to do. And so he was talking with this, this woman and he says, uh, well, I understand that you want to do that, but what would you like to do now? She didn't think about it very long at all. It came, he said, it just came right up out of her spirit. He said, I want to make my own bed. 
And he said, oh, that's good. That's good. That's something. All right, all right, all right. Let's pray and believe God. There was a, I think it was a week-long thing he was doing. Let's pray and believe God for, for this. The next day she came in, came up to the, to the front, or was wheeled up there and pushed up in the wheelchair. And uh, she said, her, she's beaming. She said, I made it. He, she said, it wasn't pretty, but I made it. And so he said, well, n- now what would you like to do? And so she, she said, I want to go to the bathroom on my own. So they believed God that she'd go to the bathroom on her own. And she came back, I don't know, day, day two days later. I, I did it. <laughs> I did it. I got up in the middle of the night and I, you know, I had to get out of the bed and basically just uh, kind of shimmy over on my butt to get over to the... But I, I got in there and I did it. And then, well, what do you want to believe for next? I want, to, I want to be able to walk around the house. See, her faith is building. The whole time her faith is building. And, but she has something specific that she's asking for. And so, all right, and we prayed for that. And she was walking around the house. Then she was, she was walking outside of the house. Then she was walking around the block. Then before long, she didn't have the wheelchair at all. But you see, you have a pie-in-the-sky mentality, but your faith isn't there. If you have the faith to be there, you can get that pie in the sky. But if, it's, if you have something and it keeps being delayed, keeps not coming, it's not there. It is perchance that your faith is not where your hope is. So what you need to do is get yourself set on another, another goal. Father God, what can I believe you for? Brother Hagin used to always teach us with this. He said, you can't bring people up to your level of faith. You need to believe for what they're believing for. So he would always ask people. What do you believe God can do for you? And they would tell him. It didn't matter if he had faith to believe something more. What mattered is what do they have faith to believe? How many times does Jesus say this? Be it unto you according to your faith. Your faith has made you whole. The emphasis is on your faith. Not somebody else's faith. So Jarius comes. He cites the problem, the plan. He makes a proclamation. If you come... (laughs) You lay hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Is there faith in that statement? There sure is. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude, multitude followed him and thronged him. Now, of course, that's emphasized because this is where the woman with the issue of blood comes up. But as we told you often enough, you can probably fill in this blank all by yourself. Faith always gets Jesus' attention. Always. If there's faith in the room, there's faith in the, in the house, if there is faith somewhere, Jesus is drawn to it. Now, you may have be able to relate to this. How many of you have been believing God for a situation and all of a sudden it got worse? Have you ever had that happen in your life? You're believing God, you're going along, believing God, and then all of a sudden it got worse. That's what happened with this guy. While he was still speaking, this is to the woman with the issue of blood, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now, that's a powerful statement, and we all need to get a hold of this. Most people look at prayer and God answering prayer as bothersome, troubling God, which is not the case. God loves Answering faith. The Word of God says that He looks to and fro about the whole earth to find someone, to find people 
that he can show himself strong on their behalf. That doesn't sound like it's a bother. But see, the enemy wants to get this into our thinking because if I think I'm a bother to the Father, I won't bother him very much. Why trouble the teacher any further? Your daughter is dead. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. Now, if you're on Facebook today, I put up a statement there that many people use their faith for something it was never intended to do. We had to understand what faith was intended to do. Just like in a, in a shop. I speak from a shop standpoint. If my wife was up here, she would be telling you from maybe a kitchen standpoint or from some other thing, tools that she made, gardening. She, she has tools out there. I have shop tools. And so in the area of shop tools, we have certain things and they have specific purposes. If you use some tools outside of their purpose, not only will they not accomplish that very well, but the tool often can be ruined. How many of you know the difference between a screwdriver, a paint stirrer, and a chisel? Not everyone does. And some people have used a chisel, which is a very refined instrument in the shop, as a screwdriver. Well, they look similar. But a screwdriver is not refined to the level that a chisel is. And you can spend some money on chisels. I have some chisels around the shop. I don't need real expensive ones. Mine are probably uh, 10 bucks for the set because I don't need to do anything real fine with them. But they are sharp. And they will cut your finger easily. So we have to make sure. And then usually I keep this in a spot where uh, I can get at it and where it's where I need to use because I use it several times in the week. It isn't just an occasional thing. For some people, a chisel is an occasional tool. I have to use it several times during the week. So I keep it by the area where I use it. Well, my granddaughter likes to come into the shop and she sees the chisel and she is drawn to the chisel. So the chisel now has to go in a place that is not convenient, but is out of the way. <laughs> because uh, she'll use the chisel for other things, but we don't want her to be, be, be cut on that either. So if you use something that for out of its purpose, it can no longer function in the purpose for which it was uh, intended. People are using their faith against things that it was not intended to affect, finding it ineffective and losing confidence in their faith. And that's not something that, was, that we should do. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. So he knows that the words that came to Jairus would produce fear, would make one afraid. And that obviously isn't going to help. It's not going to, to work. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. It would seem that would include the other nine. He just took these three along. So your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? They're basically saying this. The opportunity of what you came to Jesus for is gone. There's nothing more to achieve now. He's not able to do anything at this point. Well, I put this in your outline for you. There is no problem with the change or the request as far as Jesus is concerned. There is only a problem of fear. 
Jesus is not bothered when a situation gets worse. We are. But Jesus is not. You know, if you are praying and believing God that a pain that is in your body will be removed and be cast into the sea or you go away, um, and then you go to the doctor for the thing, and he gives you a prognosis that is this and this, and you'll be dead in six months. How many of y'all know your situation just got worse? Yeah. Did it get worse for God? No. But us, it did. Why? It's simple. It got worse because now we're afraid. How does the enemy come against you? The Word of God tells us very specifically in Paul's writings. When he outlines our armor. The shield of faith, which is able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. All of them. There is not a single fiery dart the enemy can throw at us that it will not do. Now, we've spent some time on that. We're, just, we're not going to get into it all right now, but we have spent some time on this before. The fiery darts that the, the enemy throws at us are thoughts. He tries to get us to think things that would produce doubt, unbelief, or basically fear. Think of it this way. When Peter was on the boat and saw Jesus walking across the water and said, Master, if that be you, command that I come to you. And what's Jesus say? Come. So, Jesus, so Peter jumps out of the boat and he is walking on the water. But then he looked at the waves, the wind, so forth. And he began to be fearful. Thoughts would come. You can kind of picture these thoughts. If you were walking on the water in with all the storm, you could be fearful too. How many of you might be fearful not on the water in the boat? Anybody want to say, I'd be fearful on the shore? We can have fear from those particular things because we're thinking thoughts. Peter was fine, begins to sink, and then Jesus pulls him up. And what's he say? Why did you doubt? Well, originally told us that he was afraid. Why did you doubt? The enemy knows if he can get you to be afraid, he has succeeded in getting you to doubt. Here's the thing about faith, folks. Your faith is not equipped to change your symptoms. You need to understand that. Your faith is not equipped to change your symptoms. Your faith is equipped or has equipped you to quench what? All the fiery darts of the enemy. That's what your faith is equipped to do. So use your faith to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. What has happened in the Christian circles, folks, is we are using our faith against our symptoms while the fiery darts of the enemy hit us all around. And we are doubting, and we are fearful, and we are worried, and your faith is equipped to hold those things back. But you don't let it because your faith is working on your symptoms. Well, I'm believing God for this pain. I'm believing God for this situation. I'm believing God for this. 
All you need to do is let your faith stand guard against the fear and the doubts, the worry and the anxiety. And what's left? If you kept fear, doubt, worry, and anxiety out of your life, could you help yourself but believe? Could you? But see, this is what the enemy has done. He has gotten us to use our faith for something it was not intended to be used for, thereby not using it for what we should. Now, don't raise your hand. Use your inside hand. But how many of you have a situation in your life right now that worry, anxiety, fear, and doubt have crept in and you thought you were using your faith? Go back over to to Paul's writings. The shield of faith, which is able to quench what? All the fiery darts. If you have allowed fear, doubt, anxiety, and worry, have you used your faith? Because faith will quench what? All the fiery darts of the enemy. All of them. That means fear, doubt, anxiety, and worry cannot get in. Now look at what Jesus says here again. Do not be afraid, only believe. Does he give him a Bible lesson on faith? Does he give him a Bible lesson on what he is able to do? He is focused on one thing, what? Keeping the fear out. If fear gets in, is worry far behind? Is anxiety far behind? If you are afraid of something, are you not also worried? Are you not contemplating all the things that can go wrong? Do not be afraid. Only believe. If he is telling him to not be afraid, does Jarius have the capacity to not be afraid? Would Jesus tell him to do something he could not? His daughter is now dead. Not just sick, dead. And Jesus says what? (laughs) Don't be afraid. Only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. I put this in your outline for you. New information often brings questions. New information often brings questions. But where did that new information come from? See, if a false teacher were to rise up in your life and give you new information... You would combat it because it's a false teacher. If a false prophet were to stand up and to say something, your defenses would be up. Wait a minute, I, I perceive you to be a false prophet. I've seen some of the things you've done. When Jarius gets the news, he gets it from people from the house. These aren't false prophets. These aren't false teachers. These are friends of his. And they're bringing him information. Does he have any reason to doubt what they're saying is true? Your defenses can go down when people like that give you information. Like a doctor. Doctor comes up to you and gives you information. How many of your defenses can be down? Friends, family, relatives come over to give you some information. How many know your defenses can be down? Well, look at it this way. If you went to Jesus for the answer, if you went to the Word of God for the answer, why are you taking a question from another source? Why would you let the enemy or any version of that give you more information. If the report, if I, if I get a bad report in, does the report come from Jesus? Is Jesus giving me that report? Hmm. 
is that report submitted to Jesus? Is it submitted to the Word of God? Does that report recognize the authority of Jesus? Does the person who's bringing that report recognize the authority of Jesus? Is it in line with what, what, uh, what, brought, what Jesus told me? If it's not in line with what Jesus told us, if it's not in recognizing the authority of Jesus, if it's not submitted to Jesus, if it doesn't come from Him, why am I paying any mind to it? Now, it's easy to say it's harder when you're in the situation. Jesus one time says this to Jairus. As far as we know from the Word of God, He does not repeat this. He says it one time. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Put this in your outline for you. From faith's point of view, this is looking at your situation from the point of view of faith. The problem is never in what we face, but always in what we fear. The problem is not in what we face, but always in what we fear. Remember Job's words, the thing that I feared has come upon me. So again, while he was still speaking to the woman with the issue of blood, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. Now this is a real important thing I put in your outline before you. I want you to make sure you got this. Fear and worry are not afraid of the presence of God. Fear and worry are not afraid of the presence of God, but flee our faith in God. Fear and worry are not afraid of the presence of God. Is Jesus here? Is Jairus here? Was Jairus in faith? The report comes. And what is Jairus tempted to do? Except the fear and the worry. Standing right there with Jesus. Peter is on the boat. Walking. Gets out of the boat because Jesus says, come. Walks on the water. How does doubt and fear get in his life? When Jesus is on the water. How does that happen? When Jesus was in the bow of the boat sleeping and the storm came up and the disciples are up top bailing, they became afraid and came down to Jesus. Do you not care that we are perishing? Fear and worry had gotten in them when Jesus was on the boat. Just because you're in church, just because you were in prayer, just because you were studying the Word of God, just because Jesus is right next to you does not mean that fear and worry will not try and park itself in your mind. Fear and worry are not afraid of the presence of God. You've got to get that down. They're not afraid of the presence of God, but they will flee faith. Whose faith? Will worry and fear flee my life because Matt is in faith? I could be standing right next to Matt, a man of faith, and he'd be believing and I can have fear and worry come inside my life, can I? Because fear and worry are not afraid of the presence of God, nor are they afraid of the faith in someone else. But the faith in your life will cause it to flee. Now get this one down too. I don't know no blanks you got to do, but there is no faith in imitation. There is no faith in imitation. 
only obeying. The seven sons of Sceva, they go out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And that didn't work out so well for them, did it? Peter obeyed what God said. Come. He went walking on the water. There's no faith in imitation. Many Christians, what they do is they imitate what other Christians have done. Well, I went up and I got prayer. Well, I'm confessing the same word they're confessing. They're looking for imitation. I'm going to imitate what other people have done. No, find out what, what does God command. Now, here's the thing, folks. A lot of people want to get the command to come. They, we want to be the Peter on the boat. And if, if he gives me the command to come, I'm not looking at the waves. I'm walking in the water. Yeah. And put this in your outline for you. Until we are ready to obey the general command, do not fear. Do not worry. You can write this in there. Do not have any anxiety about anything. We will not receive or be ready to act on the specific command to come. We've got to obey the general commands. When God says, do not fear. When he says, do not worry. When he says, do not have any anxiety about anything. If we are not going to obey the general commands, why would he give us a specific command to come, go, or whatever? It's not going to happen. We haven't obeyed the general command. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What's his command there? Do not worry. Now, if you go through the passage, you're going to see it's repeated several times. Do not worry. In the same story, he will repeat this three more times. Do not worry. Do you think he's trying to get something across to us? I would think so. Do not worry. Luke 12, 29. And do not seek what you shall eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Well, I'm not worried. I'm just a little anxious about it. Well, we got you too. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, some of you folks will say out there, well, it's just my personality to worry. Of course it is. It's called the flesh. Your flesh is well equipped to fear, doubt, worry, and be anxious. It's well equipped to do so. It does it very well. All you say, if you say, well, it's my personality. All you're saying is you have brought no discipline to your body in that area. I know that wouldn't go over well. <laughs> no discipline at all. Because the Word of God says, Paul says, I discipline my body. I put it under. That's what you got to do. Your body, your flesh, wants to fear, be anxious, worry. I don't know why the body craves it. It's not good for you. But it craves it. How many of y'all know your body can tend, especially if you haven't uh, done anything with your diet, your body can crave ice cream sundaes. You name whatever other type of sugary type thing that's out there. Your body can crave it. 
Now, if you, I don't know if any of you have ever done this. I have done this. If you have completely cut off all sweets from your life. I have done this a few times. Only, only for the area of, I have idea of training. Getting ready for cross country, something like that, races, stuff like that. It's totally easy when you have a goal. You know, you don't have a goal, it's real, real tough to do it. But I could say no to all that. I, I had people at the lunch table purposely try and tempt me. Look at this chocolate chip cookie. Oh, it's so good. And they would bring those things, pile them up on their plate, put them right next, put them onto my plate, trying to get me because they knew I am not. I don't know if it helped me out at all. I'm not trying to tell you whether it was good, bad, or whatever. I'm just telling you I, I, I didn't do it. And the more I got away from it, the less I desired it. I didn't dream of caramel sundaes, chocolate chip cookies, fudge brownies. I didn't dream of them. Now you all dream of it now. But <laughs> I, did, I didn't think about those things. They were out of my life. But if they got to the point where you know, you're starting to have a few of them, now you can begin to dream. Right now, some of you are saying, I'm going to go home and have myself a fudge brownie covered with ice cream. Mm, yeah. Topped off with a chocolate chip cookie. But see, faith will combat this stuff to the point that you can become immune to worry. Immune to it. It's a, there was a movie that was out my wife and I went to see. It was an interesting movie. We didn't really know too much about it. Except uh, its, it's rating was uh, pretty decent. We had some, some guys in it we, we actually liked to, to see. I think it was called Bridge of Spies. Anybody see the movie Bridge of Spies? It was a, it was a historical movie. I love historical movies. It goes back into the uh, time frame of, of uh, World War, the World War, some of the espionage that was going on and things like that. And what happened was there was a, uh, a German spy who was caught on American soil. And they had him in the integrity in, uh, in the room uh, interrogating him and questioning him and, and so forth. And the main player, Tom Hanks, was talking with him. And he just was amazed that this guy had no concern, no fear, and no worry about anything that was going on. And so he would constantly ask him, don't you care that you could be in prison, that you could, you could be executed, you could, and all the different things? Don't you care? And so he just looked at him and said, well, would it help? I just I love that statement. Well, what did, he said it. I don't know how many times you saw them. How many times did he say that? I thought it was even more than that. I thought it was cl- cl- close to like ten. <laughs> he just kept saying this. Well, every time that Tom Hanks would say, "Don't you don't don't you care about?" Well, would it help? Well, really, when you think about it, will it help for you to be worried, anxious, in fear? Now, let me remind you again, one of the principles we learned from the Word of God on authority. If you are going to receive from the authority of Jesus Christ, what must you be under? You must recognize the authority of Jesus or be under it. You must at least recognize it. If you will not recognize the authority of Jesus Christ, there isn't too much the authority can do. Jesus does not heal people, hey, based on this. Hey, can you, can you uh, cast this demon out of uh, my neighbor? You know, she's really bothering me with her shouts all night long and, the, you know, the, the cries for pain. and all. I, I, It's just, 
I can't sleep well. Would you, would you just cast the demon out? Did he ever do that? No, he was not given authority. That person needs to recognize the authority. How'd they recognize the authority? They came to Jesus and they, Jesus would say, what do you want me to do for you? He put them in a position to recognize his authority. Quit doing it. Don't be praying for people who don't recognize his authority. You're going to dull your own faith. You're not going to help anybody. Because God can't work. We haven't got into that aspect of it yet, but we will eventually. If he says, be anxious for nothing. If he says, do not worry. If he says, do not fear. But I worry. I'm in fear. And I am anxious about all kinds of stuff. Am I obedient? Then I am in rebellion to the authority of Jesus Christ, right? Because I've heard it. It's not like I'm ignorant. I've heard it. How many of you have heard before, be anxious for nothing? How many of you have heard before, do not worry? How many have heard before, do not be afraid? We've heard that. Now, don't raise your hand, inside hand on this one. How many people have been afraid since they heard that? Have worried, have been anxious. What does that mean? I am not walking in submission to what I know He wants me to do. Yeah, but you don't know reasons why. All right, picture this. Lieutenant in the army comes up to a private and says, Private, stand guard over this room. And after an hour, the private leaves the room and goes someplace else. Lieutenant comes back, finds the room unguarded, finds that particular private, calls him in. Why did you leave the room unguarded? Well, I had to use the bathroom. I was only gone for 10 minutes. What's the lieutenant going to do? Oh, I didn't realize. That, no, they don't do that, do they, in the army? What do they do? <laughs> Man, you are in trouble. You are in big trouble. They don't want to hear excuses. They just want to see that the thing is done. Now we have Facebook. We have how many pictures of soldiers standing guard over the tomb, the uh, tomb of the unknown soldier, in the rain, in the snow, in blizzards. How many of you look at that picture and say, why do we need to stand guard now? Why is it important that in a blizzard, this poor young sap has to stand out there on guard? Why does he do it? Because he's in submission. But we become anxious, we become fearful. What am I doing? Now, let's go in this one. How many of you have ever made a prayer like this? You heard, you read Philippians 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And you go to God and say, oh God, I don't want to be anxious about this. I don't want to be in fear. I don't want to worry. Please help me. (laughs) How many of you ever, don't raise your hand, inside hands. How many have ever made a prayer like that? Fear. Worry, anxiety are a tool of whom? Satan. They are a fiery dart. What has God given you to battle fiery darts? Is it prayer? Is it letting your request be made known? It is what? Faith. Whose shield is it? It is your shield. So what should you do? When fear, worry, and anxiety come up, that should tell you, my shield is not up. And Shouldn't it tell you that? If the fiery darts are getting through and you're falling into fear, anxiety, and worry, your shield is not up. 
Come on, think Star Trek. Shields up! Right? Klingons come. What do you do when the Klingons come? Used to be anyway in the old series. Now they're friends. But before they, <laughs> they weren't friends. When they weren't friends and the Klingons showed up, if you saw a Klingon warbird and you were a, a, a captain on a starship, what came out of your mouth? Red alert! Shields up! And if they begin to fire at you, what is the priority? If you've watched Star how many people have ever watched Star Trek? All right, you should know this. What is the priority if the Klingons are firing at you and your power, you know, Scotty, I need more power. I can't give you any more, sir. So <laughs> I got. Right? That's what Scotty said always. How many times has Scotty said, I can't give you any more? Constantly he is saying. So if we are short on power, what is the command of the starship? Officer, all power to shields. You should have learned this from watching Star Trek. Your faith is the most important thing that you've got. Because if the fiery darts get in, it renders the rest useless. It does not matter if you have weapons to fire if the ship is blown up. Right? Get the shield up. Keep it up. If you woke up this morning and your house was cold. First off, I understand that would tell you it is cold outside. But what would it also tell you? Something is wrong with your heater. Right? That's more important than what the temperature is outside. It's what's going on inside. Something is wrong with the heater. Shut off. The power went out. Something went on with the heater. It's cold inside. You know what to check. But when fear, anxiety, and worry show up, we don't check our faith. What do we do? Oh, God, help me. I'm involved in this battle, and I want to trust you, but it's just so hard. I'm having a hard time trusting you. I'm having a hard time not being in fear. I'm having a hard time not worrying. Oh, God, please help me. What are we saying? God, fight this battle for me. It's just like the friends you have who say, can you come over and help me move? When they really mean is, do it for me. Do you have friends like that? How many have friends in your life in the past? They say, help me move. Help me do this. Help me. And what do they mean? I want you to come over and do it all. <laughs> now, not, not everybody says, help me move, says that or means that. But you, you'll know there are a few people out there when they say, help me move. You're sitting, what are you doing? This is not how you can operate in your Christian life. God is not able to do these things for you. If Jesus was able to do that for you, don't you think he would have said to Jarius, don't worry, I got this. <laughs> don't worry about it, Jarius. I got this covered. I'll do all the not worrying for both of us. He doesn't do that. We've got to finish the story yet, don't we? Put this in your outline. Faith combats fear, not symptoms. Combats fear, not symptoms. Just because what you face doesn't change doesn't mean your faith is not working. Jairus was in faith. That's why Jesus came. While he is in faith, his daughter dies. Is that faith working? It's, it's got the attention of Jesus. It is working. But it apparently didn't stop his daughter from dying. Our focus tends to be on symptoms, not on the right thing. 
Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. Understand, for Jewish folks, wailing in, at a funeral is very important. So much so that you hire people to do it for you. So that you have enough going on. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Has he made a proclamation? They ridiculed him, but when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, that was Peter, James, and John, and entered where the child was laying. Get this principle down, folks. It's real important to do because sometimes we are trying to be too nice. Being a Christian does not always require you to be nice. Just watch Jesus. Is Jesus always nice? No. When you are involved in a battle, it is not time to help people grow. Does Jesus have a responsibility to help the other nine disciples grow? Sure he does. What's he doing about it right now? Nothing. He put them out of the house. He didn't take them with him. He, with he, the people that are in the house that love this daughter, puts them out of the house. Get out of here. I'm sure it was not in a nice way. Have you ever kicked people out of a house nicely and been successful? How many of you have wanted to keep, kick people out of the house and they're just not getting the message? And you wish you were like this. Came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, saw the tumult and so forth. Says the child is dead but not sleep, uh, but, uh, sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, you want to make fun of me? You want to make fun of what I just said? Get out of here! If you want to picture how Jesus puts people out, go over to the temple. Overturn tables, money thrown about, animals being let loose. That's what he does. Now, before you, just before we go on to that, you remember the statement Jesus made? I only do what I see my father do. Do you remember the day before he came into the temple? He looked at all the things were going on. He went back and then he came back the next day. I get the idea that he prayed about what was going on in that temple and the father showed him what he would do. Because what does Jesus do? Whatever the Father does. What's Jesus say? Whatever the Father says. So when he came into the temple and he said those things and he did those things, what does that tell you? He saw it from the Father. So how should you handle unruly house guests? (laughs) Just like the Father. Just like the Father. We could spend a lot more time on that. Don't need to, though. So they put them out and got rid of them. Get this part of it down. I put this in your outline so you get this. Something said based on sight cannot undo what was stated based on faith. Something said based on sight cannot undo what was stated based on faith. When you make a faith statement, no one, no one around you can make a statement based on sight and negate it. Do not be in fear about that. What you say is the most important thing in your life. I put this in your outline too. Don't let someone else's declaration undo your proclamation. There are always people around who would declare what they see, declare what they feel, but you have proclaimed what the Word of God has said. Don't let their declaration affect your proclamation. Something based on sight cannot undo what was stated based on faith unless you let it go or become fearful. If the doctor comes to you and says you're going to die until you become fearful, that statement will have no effect on you at all. Someone comes to you 
and says what you've been believing for is no longer going to happen, their statement, their declaration will not affect your proclamation unless you let in fear. Don't let the fear in. Now, don't feel badly about putting daughters out of your life for just a little while. He just put them out of the room. He didn't kick them out of his life. He put them out of the room. There are times that there are people in your life that need to leave the room for a little while. You can let them back later on. But for just right now, while we're battling this thing, and until we get the victory, you need to go. Well, this is dropped in the... In, I'll give you this one. How many have ever had a faith, uh, something that you're standing for in faith? A situ- let's just say this, a health situation. And you feel like if, you don't, if you're not honest with everyone around you about what you're facing, that you're lying. You ever felt that? The devil say, you've you got to stop telling people that you know, you're, you're, you're doing okay in this area when you're not. They're going to be mad at you when they find out. You ever, ever had, had that go on? You ever felt that? Yeah. Tell you what, folks. It's biblical to put people out of the room for a while. And that's all you're doing. You are putting them out of the room. They don't need to be in here. They don't need to see what's going on. They're not going to understand what's going on. And what they do here, they will laugh at. So what do you do? Close them out of the room. I'm sorry. That's an area of I'm believing God for. And you're not. So you are shut out of this room. You do not need to know anything about it. Well, you're withholding information. So, is that news to you? Does God withhold information? Think about this. Does God withhold information? All the time. All the time. Because people are not ready to hear it. Because people have rejected truth. Because people have killed his prophets. He has withheld a lot. Why did Jesus teach in parables? To withhold the information from certain people. What does he say to his disciples? But to you, it is granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Why does Jesus start teaching his disciples about his death, burial, and resurrection? Because of the revelation they came into when Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And they said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it says from that day forward, Jesus began to teach them about his death, resurrection, death uh, and resurrection. And to the point that Peter pulled him aside and says, you need to stop doing this. <laughs> but see, something changed. It is not wrong to withhold information from relatives, from friends, when it involves faith, and they will do nothing but doubt it. Involve people that are like-minded. How many people are in this room? Don't count the dead girl. You got Jesus, three more, plus two. Six people, plus the girl who's dead. That's it. Don't have to involve everybody. Anyway, that's just that's not where we were going to go. <laughs> then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great abasement. How much easier is this with those daughters out of the room? But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given to her to eat. Why is it that Jesus could do no great miracle in the city of Capernaum? Because of their unbelief, not his. Get sometimes, folks, you've got to get some people out of your life or out of the room while you deal with the thing you need to deal with. Now, how do you build up your faith? How do you get in a situation where you're 
Faith is greater than your worries, your fears. How, how do you get to that spot? What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to build yourself up on? And once you understand what faith is there to do, now you can build your faith up on it. Here's what it is. I put it in your outline for you so you won't, won't miss this. Build your faith on promises from God's word that go against what the enemy is baiting you to fear. Build your faith on promises from God's word that go against what the enemy is baiting you to fear. If the enemy is trying to bait you into, you're going to die. You're going to die early. Go out there and get the promises of God that promise long life. And you hang on to those. Build your faith up on, on those particular things. Sickness and disease, get the promises of God's word on sickness and disease, on health and healing. Whatever it is, get the word of God on it. Is a word from God ever going to come to you and say, Thou shalt die because you have been obedient? Mm -mm. Yeah, but when you get the, the, the words that come from the enemy, how many times is he trying to condemn us, push us into a place where bad things are going to happen, but he never cites anything we disobeyed from the word of God? He just tries to get us to be fearful. Look at this story. Your little girl is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Is there anything about him being coming up short? No. Now, God has sometimes said, you know, fix this or this will happen. But he's never said, thou shalt die. Because I don't like you anymore. You're not that good of a person. I really don't need you. But these are things that the enemy will feed us. And he will do. We need to respect the authority of Jesus Christ. Oh, he wants to do some great things for us. How many of you... You can use any hand you want to right now. <laughs> but how many of you have some fears that have built up on the inside of you? Have some worries. Have some anxieties. What that tells you is your faith is down in those areas. That's all you need to know. All right, your faith is down. How do you build your faith back up? Find the promises of God that go against what the enemy is baiting you to fear. Spend some time. Go out there and find that. You don't need many of them. Just get some. What's the word of God say for me? This is the promise. And you just focus on the promise. Focus on the promise. What's faith going to do? Quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. All of them. That's what it's built to do. Get your faith. Engage it in what it's meant to do. And it will stop them. It will stop all of them. Fear. Anxiety, worry will have no place and you will not be pulled from submission to your Father God. Word of God says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So what his, his strategy is, let's attack the submission. Worry, fear, doubt, anxiety. If I get you to hang on to these things, your faith shield is down. And no matter what else you do, you won't be successful. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you that your word is strong. Your word is great. Your word helps us. Your word ministers to us. Your desire is to build great faith on the inside of us. Great faith. I thank you, Father, we are able to receive 
We'll go over the promises of God. For we look through the word of God. If people just listened to the promise of God, they wouldn't have been in fear. If Israel would have listened to the promise of God, that God was going to take them to a land flowing with milk and honey, they wouldn't have feared at the Red Sea. They wouldn't have feared when they ran out of water. They wouldn't have feared when they didn't have any food because they would have hung on to the promise. But instead of hanging on to the promise, they hung on to the fear and the worry and the doubt. And God has brought us out here to die. God has brought us out here to kill us. They let go of the promise of God. But the promise of God is where we build up our faith. The promise of God is how we battle worry, fear, anxiety in our life. The promises of God keep us on the track of being under the King. The promises of God is what does it. David needed to listen to the promises of God. And every time he got off, God just reminded him, if you would have just asked this, I would have done it. Solomon would have just listened to the promise of God. If Jeroboam would have just listened to the promise of God, he wouldn't have got off in a false religion. If Saul would have just listened to the promise of God, he wouldn't have been fearful about the people around him taking over his throne. The promise of God. Those are the things that hold on to, hold us in the area of faith. Father, we need to be renewed in the areas of the promises of God. That fear and anxiety has no place in us because we meditate on the promises of God. Instead of thinking of destruction, we think of the promises of God. We think of where you're taking us, what you're doing, what you have said instead of what the enemy is pointing to. And if we do that, every single fiery dart he throws will be quenched because faith takes care of them all. Thank you for the warning light that comes on in our life. When we see fear, anxiety, and worry, no matter where they come from, it tells us our faith shield is down. And all we need to do is pull it back up again. Thank you, Father, for your promises. Thank you for your help. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. We've got some praise reports. My wife had a word, too, that she she got in the area of power. She might want to share with you. Um, during worship, um, power for healing, power for deliverance, power for salvation, power for joy, power for strength, power for peace. It's all available, but it's it's what we do with it. It's are we going to step into it? Are we going to, by faith, take hold of it? And that was the, the correlation he was telling me today is that there's so many, like Pastor was saying to, this morning, there's so many that want to, God, you do deal with this problem. God, you do. But he's already said, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. I've given you your spiritual armor you need to do something with it and see if the enemy can keep us in that area of waiting on god to do something he can destroy our faith because we keep thinking we're acting in faith by trusting god to do something but meanwhile god's saying i'm not the one that needs to move you are you need to step out and do something so that's what he's encouraging us to do today and you know this thing is not it's not easy to take those steps of faith. Um, I know for myself, when I started trusting God for my own healing, um, 
when I had the surgery on my knee, I had it on a, on a Friday morning. Sunday morning I was in church. Not because I wanted to prove something to somebody else or because I wanted to be, you know, touted, but I believe God's word. He says I'm healed. He says I have authority over that pain. I had to continually talk to my knee over and over for, for several days saying, you got to go, you got to leave. The swelling has to go. You are healed. And it's a step. It's that thing of the, the more you do that, the more you take authority over your body, the more it's going to submit to you. The more it's going to, um, it might rise up and say, that pain is still here, but you say, I remember Smith Wigglesworth, and we, it amazes me how we get so excited when we hear about these great men and women of faith and the, the things that they said, like Smith Wigglesworth, somebody said to him one day, Smith, how are you today? And he answered by saying, I don't ask Smith how he's doing, I tell Smith how he's doing, you know, and we love to hear those things, but how often do we do it for ourselves? You know, Smith was nobody different than us. You know, we have that same power on the inside, and we have that same authority on the inside, and we can take that authority over our body and make it line up with the Word of God. You know, and so that was the word this morning, just that when when something is necessary, realize that presence is there. You need to activate it by your faith and take a step and do that. So amen. Praise God. Well, here's a couple. Anybody else have praise reports or prayer requests coming? I have these two. Susan says, I'm praising the Lord for his wisdom in handling tasks at work and home and for direction with time management. Praise God. That's another thing the enemy tries to steal is our time. And this one I'm very excited about too. Nikolai, after six weeks on the new job, I was offered a promotion as an associate director. Hallelujah. So I'm now doing what I love and no longer working crazy hours. So praise God for that. Amen. All right, and um, just a real quick one, Su- uh, Sharon, are you going to share about that? She had her um, surgery on th- Friday, Friday morning, or Friday afternoon, actually. She had arthroscopic done on her knee to repair meniscus, and she's doing very, very well. Amen. Yes, she is. Surgery went well. And they did the repair as, as necessary. So praise God. Stand up with me one more time. Oh, oh yes. The the board we went over at the, the salt meeting, different areas that you can get involved with different areas of, uh, that are handling that, that's over there. Uh, will you be by there in case anybody goes over who? I can't. All right. She's going she's gonna to hang out there. All right. We're missing a lot of folks today. Cold kept some people away. Um, as long as enough of you folks want to stick on around and do the uh, after church class that we're starting up here today, that will, uh, that will happen. So um, let me know on your way out. Let Michael know. He's going to be teaching the uh, Good Foundations class here today. If not, we could always just... Uh, if enough of you either were planning on staying, but for whatever reason aren't able to, have to get back for because of the situations with the cold at home or whatever, just let us know about that, and we'll we'll have that going on there for, for next week. But otherwise, that's going on. We've got the outlines all ready. We've got things ready to go. And now it feels warm in here. <laughs> it feels good, yeah. It's uh, it's doing all right. So that's going to be going on with, with that one. Um, men's breakfast is on Saturday at 8 o'clock. Wednesday night we're into Second Corinthians or Second Kings chapter 15. We're looking at one of the uh, uh, one of the really good kings of Israel, King Uzziah, and one of uh, Isaiah's favorite kings. And that's going to be going on 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 Wednesday. He's another guy who uh, started out really good, reigned about the one of the longest reigns of all of Israel's history, but he fin- finished very well. So we're going to looking at some uh, principles as far as finishing that. That's going on on Wednesday. Talked about Saturday, and next week we're going to be picking this uh, back up again. 
have a great rest of the, the day. Uh, I was going to share this with you too. We didn't pray over anyone today for any of these things in this area. Because here's what you need to do. You have faith. You have faith. Because God has given to each one what? Measure of faith. Every single one of you has faith. Every single one of you has a shield of faith. What his problem is, is you're not engaging it. And I don't want you to think that, oh, we've got to push this off on God. Well, if I pray, then God will do. No, you need to do something. And what you need to do is to combat fear, anxiety, and worry from coming into your life and use that shield. Grab hold of the promises of God. So here's your assignment. This week, we all have, uh, you have some areas in your life, like, you're probably like me. I have some areas almost immune to worry, fear, and anxiety. Almost immune to it. And then other areas where it seems like it can get in easier. Those are the areas we've got to focus on. I need some promises. The other ones, the reason that the, the fear doesn't come in, because I had the promises on that one. I've been meditating on them. I think about them all the time. How many of you are afraid you're not going to heaven? No. You know why? Because you've meditated on the promise that I go and prepare a place for you. You have an assurance of salvation. You, if the devil comes along and tries to get you to be in fear and anxiety about where you're going to go when you die, you laugh it off. Now, get the same place with all the other stuff. And fear and anxiety will not be able to get a hold of you. So this week, here's your assignment. The areas that you have fear, worry, and anxiety, they can come in. Find some of the promises of God. Meditate on them. And I want to hear from you the changes that occurred this week in that area. Understand this, folks. It's not that you have to have the, the shield up for so long before it does any good. The shield, if it's in place, stops how many? All of the fiery darts of the enemy. All of them. And all you have to do is have the shield in place. Put the shield in, pl- in place. Promises of God. Meditate on them. Fear and anxiety and worry show up. My shield is down. Get the, sh- the, the shield of faith back up. Don't use your faith for what it's not intended to do. Use it for what God made it for. And you'll have great success in this area and others. So I want to hear about that next week. So that's your assignment. Find the promise of God. Meditate on it. Tell us next Sunday. I'm not talking a month from now. I expect this to impact you this week. And I want to hear about some of those testimonies on that. So when you got our praise report, write that on out and put that on there. Have a great week. Bless some folks before you go. If you are uh, sticking around and brought a lunch to eat, the kitchen will be open for you. If you're going to head out to one of the other places, that's fine. Just let us know you're coming back. Have a great rest of the day.